Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to spend some time out in your wilderness, Father. Lord, we, we, we honestly, Lord, are, are praying for this, this Holy Spirit, Father, that we want the Holy Spirit to live in our lives. And we pray for the latter rain. And we know, Father, that even now, Lord, the sealing work is being done. So we thank you, Lord, for being, um, for, for, for just giving us the opportunity to be able to experience this, Father. We know, Lord, even if we don't want this, Father, that you could get the rocks to do it for you. So I pray, Lord, that we would not um, become proud that we are Seventh-day Adventists, Lord, that we would not uh, seek to boast, Father, but we would realize that this is not um, a privilege that doesn't come with responsibility. So I pray, Father, that you'd be with us now, be with the rest of this, this service, this question and answer session, Father. Uh, may it not be uh, something that is um, seen from heaven as something um, that you wouldn't like, Father, but may it be something that's pleasing in your eyes. And may the questions that the young people have here today, Father, be answered, and may a better understanding of your Bible be brought, to, brought in picture. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so... So just a question to get things started. This is sort of based on our theme. What are the crucial elements necessary for the latter rain to be poured out in this generation? While you're making questions, one more thing. If you have a, a question specifically targeted to one of the presenters, put their name on it. If not, just leave it as general. And as if for the presenters, if you guys can keep your answers as, as concise as possible so we can facilitate m much more questions. Okay, thank you. Yeah, well, let me just say that I think that when you look at the parallels between the day of Pentecost and the latter rain, it clearly indicates how they themselves were participants of that early rain. And I think I made mention to it the fact that, you know, one of the prerequisites of receiving the latter rain, uh, as the apostles received the early rain, was they put away their differences. You know, they repented of their sins. They confessed and forsaken made restitution to the best of their ability and uh, making wrongs right. So I think it's a very vital, important issue. Of, if there's anything you have against someone, uh, even or maybe somebody has something against you and you're aware of, um, you know, we're under obligation to go to that brother or sister and to try to reconcile that situation. Where the uh, servant of the Lord uh, mentions that those who aren't receiving the latter rain won't know it's there. Mm, I'll be talking about that. Yeah. You can talk about that tomorrow well, or something like that. Well, there's no doubt about there's be, 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 because I think it has to do with expectations. Mm. Because in other words, we're saying that let's pray for the latter rain. How do we get it? Well, if Mrs. White says if you don't get it, you won't know it's there. Then maybe our expectations are different than we've been thinking. <clears throat> well, I mean, I don't know what I, I'm asking. I. I don't have, I don't have the answer to that. I, that's well, one of the questions. I, I think I, they need to be asking the questions. <laughs> I mean, Listen, look, it, 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 you know whether one some if someone doesn't want to participate in the re prerequisites in order to be the recipient of the latter rain. I guess that's something they have to choose to decide. But in the end, 
uh, you've got to make the choice. I mean, ultimately, in the end, you've got to decide whether or not you're going to bring your life in harmony with the will of God. Maybe I can say a, a thought on this. You have your Bibles. Turn your Bibles to Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. It's the passage from which we get the phrase, the latter rain. In Joel 2, starting in verse 12, it says, Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning. And rend your heart, and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. It's describing the experience of taking part in the Day of Atonement, the experience of searching our hearts and putting away sin. We've been told plainly that no one will receive the latter rain while, while our characters have one spot or stain. Well, what I mean by that is we don't receive the seal of God till then, and the, and the latter rain is poured out on those that have the seal of God. After this description of the Day of Atonement, the passage goes on to describe an experience of intercessory prayer, and the latter rain comes in verse 23. It's following a succession of a growing experience of taking part in the Day of Atonement, putting away sin, praying for our brother, and developing the character that God requires. Amen. Hear, hear. Okay, we have some other questions that have come in. Um, what do you say to church members who say we need contemporary Christian services such as rock music and other types of things to keep young people in the church? Uh, at a, uh, a a national ministers meeting for uh, sponsored by the Promise Keepers in uh, Phoenix, and uh, I was interested when the uh, leader, uh, one of the leaders of the Youth Specialties organization, said uh, that uh, amongst their young people, uh, when they get uh, they finish high school, eighty five percent of them stop going to church. And uh, when I heard that, it occurred to me that those the fact that we're losing our young people is not an Adventist phenomena. It's a generational phenomena. And that, th that, that, that means that these churches, these contemporary churches, with rock and roll services, are still losing their young people. And so I think that it's not valid to suggest that if we would have <coughs> rock and roll churches, we'd keep our young people. Okay, another question here. What, what is your view on the belief that probation closes? Well, better way of phrasing this, how do you sustain biblically that, or can you sustain biblically that probation closes first in the Seventh-day Adventist Church and then it closes in the world? At the risk of disagreeing with whoever I might disagree with. <laughs> probation closes for a man when he dies or when he has resisted the spirit until he is senseless to spiritual things or when he receives the seal of God or when it closes for the world, which is when everyone has received either the seal of God 
or has resisted the spirit until the spirit is can, no longer able to touch them. When we say probation closes for the Adventist church first, all we mean is that Adventists are going to more quickly and before the rest of the people in the world come to either the seal of God or the unpardonable sin. We're ahead in terms of light, and so we're ahead in terms of hardening or softening. And it's not that there is one date and then another. We each have our individual date with the, our destiny, and then there's an end of the whole thing when the last person has reached that point. Where is the text? In, in, it's, is it in Peter? Ray, that says something about if judgment begins at the house of God, is that what we're referring to? I think that's what you're saying. I think that's what the it's in it's in first peter if judge judgment begins at the house of god what shall be the end of those that's who right. uh, exactly in in fact right. isn't there the one about uh go place the mark and begin with a, begin in the, the house of god and uh, yeah and so it kind of gives you the impression but it begins though with those who as you said who know most that's right you know he's fair about that okay, let's another question this is a, a good question I have never really studied my Bible. How do you recommend I go about it? When do I start adding Ellen G. White? If you've never studied your Bible before, I'd have just a simple, a couple simple recommendations. That you start with First John and the book of James. There are a couple of books that are practical and doable things you can get your hands on. When do you start reading the testimonies? Sooner than later is better, and it can be before you're converted, and it won't hurt you. Um, I mean, anything can hurt you if you resist. But studying the testimonies is not a substitute for studying your Bible. It's not something you do instead of, or this, than that. Study your Bible every day. I know that's not how, but I don't know if I can answer that question. I will say this. Um, you know, if all you had were the Conflict the Ages series and your Bible, you'd have a better understanding of the Bible than 90 plus percent of those who profess to be Christians. Uh, the Conflict the Ages series is, was actually designed to be a divine commentary for the Bible. It starts with Genesis and ends with Revelation. Now, not that it comments, obviously, on every passage of the Bible. We know that. Um, but it gives you a great overview. And one thing I will say that sometimes when we study the Bible, we have a tendency to want to know the details first. And uh, we bypass the overall general themes or concepts. And that's an incorrect way of studying your Bible. You must first learn to capture the theme or the concepts of what the book is saying. And then as time goes on, you will begin to pick up the details in more precise understanding. So, I mean, uh, I don't know if there's one particular way or method, uh, as Eugene said, you know, really of how to study. But there, I think... Um, I feel if you take the Conflict of the Ages series and start with Patriarchs and Prophets and march your way through in a systematic way, you'd be amazed what you can learn. I heard somebody say one time, 
And I guess I don't know that there's, a, as you're saying, that there's a, a way that it must be done because they're asking us for our feelings in the matter. Mm-hmm. But I've heard some say that uh, maybe in the Gospels, you know, is, mm-hmm. in fact, in fact, I find that the, the one of the greatest, most comforting blessings to me is the book Desire of Ages. Amen. Boy, I'll tell you, you get Desire of Ages and you work it with the Gospels. Yeah. You can't go wrong. And yeah. I know I preach that we ought to learn the gospel of, Je- of, of Jesus before we learn the gospel of Paul. Mm. You understand what I'm saying? Because many start with Paul, and Peter said, be careful of that, you get messed up. So I think we ought to begin with the four gospels and the book Desire of Ages, and it's pretty hard to get bumped out of line when we do that. That's my conviction of the matter. Thank you. This is an interesting question. How does one honor <clears throat> in love one's parent when they've walked away from the family and the church and now are at a different now have a different religion and values and are quote under grace no no i I understood the question uh the the question is is very practical is how do we honor a parent who's basically abandoned the family and abandoned the faith and gone really off the wall. Well, I'll tell you, we don't honor our parents because they deserve the honor, but because the fifth commandment says, honor thy father and thy mother. Uh, It's a command. We honor our parents, and in honoring our parents, we honor God. Because remember I told you last night, he used our parents to bring us here. And you see, I think, too, there's a principle here Uh, of uh, intercession. Remember, I mentioned this last night. We're praying that God will save save us and forgive our sins. Aren't we praying that? Wouldn't you want this for your daddy no matter what? In other words, isn't our family our biggest mission field? If you're praying for the salvation of the lost, it's not somebody in in ding-dong land or, you know, or something. It's your daddy. It's your daddy. We're supposed to be intercessors. Now, I want to tell you, that I get tired of praying for my boy that's out of the faith. I just wish he would just become a minister and his wife a Bible worker so I could get on with my life. <laughs> but I want to tell you, to be an intercessor, you have to hurt. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, 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 the body, uh, especially you know if you start and your hands are soft, you do calluses uh, to keep from hurting, to keep from getting blisters. But we can't get calluses in spiritual issues. Amen. If we're going to be intercessors, we have to keep hurting. It's bad what's happened to your daddy. But God's called you to be an intercessor and to pray for your daddy. That's that's what you're called to do. To honor him because that's the way you got here. And you owe it to daddy and to God to do that. No matter what. Now, now it's not easy. Yeah, well, you know, just <laughs> I mean, the implication of the question is, and how do you love them when they're out of the faith? Well, that implies there was conditions on your love. I mean, you should love them whether they're a Christian or not. I mean, what's that got to do with... I mean, what does Christ, in terms of where a parent is in their spiritual life uh, have to do with how you treat them or love them? I mean, isn't that rather insane to think that I will only love them if they meet certain expectations that I have for them? I mean, that's... But, but like, I can tell you something, though. With my boy, when he was taking drugs, and he never had a thing with me, he was, and, and, and he was raised in South America, and those of you from South America will know about the abrazo, where we give the little hug and we kiss out into the air. 
That boy never ceased, even through the worst, to give me an abrazo. But I might say that sometimes when he'd give me a hug, I wanted to say, don't touch me. If you really loved me, you wouldn't be doing this to me. You know, I was taking it personal. See, that's what we do. We take it personal. Yeah, but it's not about... And, and In fact, later, later he would tell me, Daddy, it's not about you. It wasn't you. You see, he went, I sent him away to a drug treatment place. And they, and they said, take up a teddy bear and beat it and pretend that you're dead. He lasted three days because he said, I didn't like beating on teddy bears pretending it was dead. He said, Dad, it was never you. It was I was having problems with God. But, I, but I'm just saying, Ray, that, that I can understand, man. It's, I know what it feels like. Man, it's hard. And I understand what this person is saying. It's just really rough. And only the grace of God. And I think it's looking to Jesus, who is interceding for us, no matter how we treat him. He lives ever to make intercession for us, no matter how we treat him. Thank you. Here's another question. This is sort of a different question, or a different subject. Um, what do you think of things like being involved with things like martial arts, kickboxing, or yoga for the quote-unquote positive aspects of these activities? I think of Philippians 2, 14. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. And I think those two words summarize martial arts. Strife and vainglory. And it said, let nothing be done. And the next passage indicates that it has a lot to do with the work God wants to do in you. Good. Here's another one. What do you think about mega churches? Is it possible in, in an Adventist church or in the Adventist church? We go to church on the wrong day. Isn't that right? In other words, we're under an illusion if we think people are going to line up to keep the commandments of God. And they've also done research on these big megachurches, by the way. And these big megachurches cannibalize little churches. That's the fact of the matter. Uh, they just cannibalize the little churches. In fact, even in our own systems, where some of our contemporary large churches have grown large, they've done it by cannibalizing the little churches. You know, you know I, uh, I, I, the conference sent me one time to Willow Creek. Have you ever heard about it? And uh, I'll never forget, I had uh, seen once a news broadcast where they interviewed one of the members of Willow Creek, or one of those who attended Willow Creek. And he said, I like this church because it doesn't require commitment. And, and, you know, I thought to myself, see, this is why I'm not at all comfortable, as I told you this afternoon, with using these, mega ch these uh, evangelical churches as templates for church growth. These people, and I haven't said, Ray, that they really leave me uncomfortable. These people have two basic ideologies that are fatal to the Adventist mission and, and, uh, and, and ideology. One is that they're, they're, they're generic by doctrine, and secondly, they're, they're, they're congregational. And so the more we use them, and more we use them as models, the churches that most clearly imitate the Adventist churches the, 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 the evangelical models are most likely to be both uh, congregational and generic. And I want to tell you this, that if our church, had, you know what congregationalism is, don't you? It means you keep all the money at home. That means you don't believe in the upline. If we had been congregationalists as an early church in New England, we'd have never got out of New England. 
Secondly, let me tell you this. Many times they criticize our church organization, the conferences, the union, the division, and the general, and all of that. And we say that's redundant and not cost-effective. But I want to tell you, folks, that though it might be redundant and, and not cost-effective, that organization of ours has protected until now the integrity of our, of our doctrine. Because a congregational church uh, creates its own doctrine, it uses the golden rule, he who has the gold rules. And so as you will see congregationalism spread in our, in our, in our Adventist culture, you will see two things happening. The shrinking of mission and the fooling with the doctrine. Thank you. Here's a question. When it comes to standards, how important is our dress? Can you be too conservative? You can't be too obedient, but you can certainly make up things God never said and practice those. Well, you know, you know. Let, let me open a real can of worms, brothers. The scripture is clear in the Old Testament that women shouldn't dress like men. And the women don't seem to worry about that anymore. And I want to tell you this, that uh, I might be a dirty old man, but I just resent the fact that I have to pray and turn my eyes when girls walk past and the pants are up the you-know-what. That's not right. Don't, that's not right. And, and, I, and, and this is why I say that I think that the daughters of God ought to get together and talk about this. Because, because I, I believe that, 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 that generally speaking, that our women are, are not sensitive, that they are using, you know, they're using the worldly standard. Now, I'm not suggesting that, that, that the girls here are using the worst. But I want to tell you that the girls here, you know, in their dress even this weekend, it's not always been modest if you just paint your pants on you. No, I'm not doing that to, you know, to say, you know, that you're all the problem. But if we're going to really talk about modesty, then let's talk about that. You know, I've even noticed there's a new cut now for blouses. And I don't remember it. It's cut low now. I resent that. I, I really do. Now, I know I'm going to have to stand before God and give account. And I can't say it was, you know, it was Eve that made me do it. See, But I believe that the daughters of God ought to get together and talk about about these kinds of things. Not so that they'll dress to be weird or whatever it is. But you know, again, I told you last night, women are the ones that set the moral standard of a culture. They're the ones. And and, and, and you know, I, I was sitting at a, at, a, at a dinner table once, and there was a young woman there, about 32, and she says, I want to appear, she says, I want to be pleasing to other men. And I thought to myself, do you know what you're saying? In other words, is there any girl in her right mind that wants a man to see her and look and think, man, I'd like to, you know what, that? Is that what you want, ladies? Is that your real goal in life? It would seem to me, and in fact, this is why I think, Ray, I think one of the most women's lib texts in Scripture is the one that says, let it not be the outward adorning. Because from the time a girl is just this big, She's a little, isn't she pretty? Isn't she cute? And she grows and she's pretty and she's cute. And then she's sexy. And I can't imagine a, a girl in her right mind that wants to be looked upon as a body. 
I think you want to be looked upon as a person. I really do. In fact, this is what Jesus is saying to you. He says, honey, I love you as a person, not as a thing. And so I think that it's, it's incumbent upon the daughters of God to talk about these things because I'm not saying that you're like Madonna, but there's a lot of our girls that, you know, dress, you know, in that direction. They really do. So talk about, don't talk to us. Get amongst this and talk to yourselves. Now, now we're not, where you say, I've got to be attractive. Well, yes, well, you know, you know, come and give me a break. In other words, what do you mean by attractive? Sexy? You know, this word should not be used amongst us. Come on. You know, that's all about... What's sexy? What's that mean? Give me a break. So, you know, girls talk about that sometime when we're not here. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Along the same lines, um, someone asked a question. In the past, Adventists were known for not wearing jewelry... Very rarely would you ever see Adventists wearing wedding rings. Was there a biblical basis for that, or was it a cultural thing? And what what is it now that has made it, um, or that allows Adventists to be wearing a wedding band now? Any comments on that? Well, the scriptural basis, I mean, there's plenty of that. I mean, I can't imagine anyone not knowing the biblical evidence, but Isaiah 3 and Isaiah 4, that's just some of the texts. Uh, that clearly indicate about uh, jewelry and wedding rings and things of that nature. Uh, you know, we used to be a peculiar people, and uh, we've gotten away from the integrity of our message. Um, you know, why people do what they do, I don't know. I mean, I'm not here to be a you know give a psychological analysis on you know why people do it, but. Um, I believe that uh, it's a biblical position. Uh, it's as solid as the Sabbath truth. And, um, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's the evidence, I think, is overwhelming. But. Well, but let me be the devil's advocate, Ray, because this is real concern. Number one, the church has pulled the rug on us on that. You know that uh, as ministers, we used to not be able to baptize people. They had to take off their rings. And so the, our brothers and sisters in Europe argued that if they didn't wear a wedding ring, you know, they'd get thrown out of the hotel. Now, I've traveled in Europe, and, I have, you, and you, we've never been thrown out of the hotel for that. So whatever reason they had for that. But, but, but I do think, and I guess I'm just saying respectfully, that we don't want to put this in the category of, of, uh, of, of one of the Ten Commandments. You know what I'm saying. Because obviously... Uh, uh, in the scripture, you know, the, the, Isra- the Israelites and all were pretty heavily loaded with some of that stuff. And uh, so, I, so I think that I, I just, I, I put it this way, and, and, and maybe this isn't uh, biblical enough or something. I just think that those who love Jesus ought to look different than those who don't. Don't you think so? I think it's reasonable to ask that. We used to say, you could tell Adventists by the way they looked. Well, you can't anymore. Uh, and I just think you ought to be able to. I don't think we ought to look weird. Peculiar is not really weird. It's just different. It's different. These Amish people, they're not afraid. The Sikhs are not afraid. All the Hindus put the little polka dot on their head. The, you know, the, a Muslim, whatever they are, they put all this stuff. In other words, everybody's being who he is about the Adventists. I mean, that really blows my mind. Nobody's afraid to be whoever they are except us. 
I mean, I mean, I mean, what's wrong with that? In the Bible, it certainly is so that there are passages that talk about jewelry even in heaven and with Lucifer, and and some of these are used to question the biblical position. The fact that we're in the Day of Atonement is completely related to this issue. In the Day of Atonement is the time to humble ourselves. In the Bible, when jewelry is taken off by God's people, it's at a time when they're humbling themselves, a time when they're trying to come closer and, and repenting in a special way. That describes our generation that lives in the time of the judgment. It's because we're a judgment-preaching church that the jewelry is coming off. Have you ever noticed that those you love best, you don't describe the way they look, you describe the way they are? If you don't know somebody, you'd say, well, she's pretty or she's tall or she's short or he's this or he's that. But the person you really you really appreciate, you describe him for character person, for character reasons. And I think that's the way we want to be known, isn't it? And so we don't want people to notice how we look. We want to be kind of invisible physically so that they can appreciate the things of the character, it seems to me. What's that? Thank you guys very much. Um, it's getting kind of late. I think uh, we'll probably uh, wrap. Are you, are you guys enjoying this? Yeah. You, you guys, uh, maybe a couple more questions? Yeah. What if you can't see anything but Pastor Phil's hair? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. You're always talking about yourself. I need to throw it. Okay. Um, we got a question for you. Um, this is addressed to either one, either of the presenters. What about military service? Is it okay to serve your country for the right reasons, even if you're in a non-combatant role? I think right away of the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus said, if you're compelled to go a mile, go with him twain, it was speaking of forced military service. When the Romans would come by and require a Jew to carry the equipment, Jesus did not hold his followers responsible for what the Romans might do with the equipment or what might happen in secondary causes. But in the same sermon, he said that if they strike you on the one cheek, turn to them the other also. And John the Baptist said to no less than soldiers, do violence to no man. In short... God has two types of ministers in this world. Ministers of the word that are sanctified and set aside for a holy purpose. The story of Daniel teaches that war is not holy purpose. And then ministers of the world, Romans 13 speaks to them, that are set aside for the dirty work. We shouldn't confuse our calling. Men are needed to fight wars and to handle guns and to be our police force. But that's not the work for God's soldiers to do. I, I agree with you. You know, when I was a young man, uh, it was uh, a, a compulsory service. It was a selective service. When we were 18, we all had to sign up and we got a number. And they called us up by uh, uh, number. But we had, by the way, we, had, we, we could go up as conscientious objectors. You know, you can't do that anymore. In fact, we had the Sabbath and we were, and we were medics. But now that it's a volunteer army, when you volunteer for the service, right. you give up both the Sabbath right. Right. and you, and you and and you have to do whatever they say. Right. Now I heard uh, uh, someone say one time that the army is a killing machine. 
And that's what it is. I don't care if you're a medic. It's still a killing machine. The guy that's peeling potatoes is part of the killing machine. And so, and so therefore, I think that, that where we don't have to, that it's not something we step up the plate and say, I want to get into that killing machine. That's my well, raise. That's my between drafted and, and, and yeah. you know, force and, and A chaplain? Well, you'll have to ask them how they feel about that, you know. Yeah, it, I mean, because they have, they're ministered to. We've got how many Adventist military chaplains? I know I spoke at the uh, military, uh, the uh, uh, school for, not school, it's the retreat for soldiers in Frankfurt. You know, we have one where they go on Sabbath. We have a civilian chaplain who's there to minister to them. And so I, I suppose, I don't know what you brethren think, but I suppose that while we have Adventist men in the service, that we, we that we could probably have Adventist chaplains to minister chaplains. to them. You know the. You know, obviously, when you're dealing with chaplaincy, I mean, uh, I mean that for us in the, in this country started all the way back in the American Revolution. I mean, and it's continued since this day. Um, but chaplaincy is obviously to meet the spiritual needs of anyone. Um, I mean, I I'll be honest with you that that's uh, I don't have a problem with chaplaincy to be very frank with you but but ray i did talk with one adventist chaplain and this is to put a mm. back a backspin on this mm. and and the chaplains are not only chaplains of adventists they're chaplains of the whole business Fine. right so that means that a chaplain's adventist chaplains have told me that when the wiccans want to get together around this thing tonight mm -hmm. chaplains adventist chaplains have to set it up well again if that's the case then that's then that's a different issue but i mean um as um you know what it, it, if you volunteer, as you know, it's been stated, and I thought very nicely done. You know, you do forfeit your rights. I mean, you are nothing more. And if you understand that the document you sign, legally and technically, the moment you sign that document and are in the military service, you are actually owned by the military by the government. You, it's you are now federal property. Um. And that's why even after you get uh, out of the service for four years, they can call you up any time. So, but uh, yeah, I yeah, I thought that's very good, well stated, Pastor. Thank you guys for that. Maybe just to add a little bit. Is that okay? Maybe just to add a little bit too that I actually am going through something with the military right now. Just to put a little uh, personal experience with that. Um, over the past couple of years. I've come to the conviction, I, Pastor Ophel, you had mentioned that regardless of what job you're in, you are part of the military machine, and that's the conviction I had come to. Whether or not that's correct, I believe that. I don't believe that when I go to heaven, God's going to be mad at me because I decided to stand up for conscientious objection because I didn't feel being right. So, um, I know I don't I may mean, I don't qualify to answer, but that's just a personal experience for mine. Someone else wrote that question, by the way. So, but um. um because I already applied for it. I already knew the answer in my mind. But uh, we do need to wrap this up. I know you guys have a, there's a lot more questions. Um, maybe maybe there might be another time to do something like this tomorrow, but we're not, we're not exactly sure. But um, if there's a big enough need, if a lot of people are, are, are really asking for it, if you guys are, like, you know, pressing for it, maybe we might do another one like this. I think it's, it's beneficial. 
Um, this way, this, the speakers get to know what you guys are thinking about, what 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 you guys want to know. Um, at the same time, you get to you get to hear um, from from godly men that have experience and have studied their their Bibles well. But anyways, we thank you, gentlemen, for this. Um, at this time, we'd like to go ahead. Um, we're going to give the sound people a few time a few a few minutes to actually take the stuff back up. Um, actually, uh, if we could stay here for about let's let's do about ten minutes um, while the sound people get up, and so we don't like sw- swarm them. Uh, we'll sing a few more songs, and then we're going to start heading back. Our 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 last meeting will be by Pastor Ray DiCarlo, um, and it'll st- we'll go ahead and say we'll start that in approximately uh, 20, 20 minutes. So um, there's people leaving anyway. I don't. I just said to stay. I mean, what's going on? <laughs> okay, let's have a word of prayer. Uh, as as a question and answer session was occurring, uh, you might have noticed that the Sabbath ended. So let's go ahead and end the Sabbath as well. Let's go ahead and stand for the word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to to have our questions answered, Father. Lord, there are many questions that we know won't be answered until we see you, Father, on that sea of glass. But Lord, while we have the time now, Lord, help us um, these questions, Lord, about Bible study, Lord, about how we should live our lives, Lord, so that we can be seen, um, that we can be unique, Father, to not be ashamed of being Adventist, Father. Um, also, Father, to... To, to live a life that you, you want us to live, Father. These questions, Father, that the young people here at this conference really want to know. They're searching, Father, to, to really want to live the lives that you want them to live, Father. Not because they're wanting to work their way to heaven, Father, but because they want to be obedient to the one that died for them. So I want to pray, Father, that you bless us now. Thank you, Lord, for the Sabbath, which is, a, which is a memorial, Father, which is a promise that you will sanctify us, Father, and you will finish the work for us. I want to pray, Lord, that you'd continue to be with Southwest Youth Conference. We are uh, just a little, little over halfway through with it, Father. But I want to pray, Lord, the rest of the meetings, Lord, will will inspire, convict, and bring around, bring about conversion for those that are still um, between two opinions, Father. May they choose this day to serve the Lord. Be with us now, Lord, as we uh, as we continue. And even though the Sabbath has not ended, Father, the Holy Sabbath, I'm sorry, even though the Sabbath, the Holy Sabbath has ended, Father, the sun does not set on a holy life. So help us, Father, to continue to live our lives um, the way we do on the Sabbath, Father. Lord, help us to, to put everything in your hands. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen.